John 15. Now, as we've been going through um, this particular passage, we've been seeing Jesus um, talking to his disciples. They've left the upper room. They're on their way down to the Garden of Gethsemane where we know Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested. But it's on their way now. And, he, and, and catch this, because Jesus is going now to the greatest hour of need in his life. This is like everything's been kind of moving towards this point where, where Jesus is, is soon going to pray and, and sweat great drops of blood. Lord, if there be any other way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is going to be a, a moment of agony, of difficulty for Jesus. And yet, as he's approaching that in just a few hours, this greatest hour of need in Jesus' life, what's Jesus doing? He's ministering to his disciples. He's coming alongside them and pouring out his heart to them. Understand, Jesus always has time for you and what you're going through. And he desires to come and strengthen you and support you. And he's doing that with his disciples. And so as they're walking from, you know, the upper room and down to the Garden of Gethsemane, most likely he's walking along and passing, whether it be a vineyard or something. He's using these, these uh, scenes from everyday life to draw illustration and application from. And he's saying, listen, unless you're abiding in the vine, you can do nothing. If you buy in the vine, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to be productive. And so he's ministering to his disciples. He's pouring into them. Was, those are the things that we looked at last week as we got into the first five verses of chapter 15 here. But now as we continue on in this chapter, we're going to look at what abiding in Jesus does for us. What does abiding in Jesus do for us? Well, there's a few things we can look at here as we go through these next few verses. First of all, it increases our confidence. It increases our confidence in just coming to Jesus, being with Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus. Secondly, it increases our love. How many people would love to have more love increased in their life? All right. Just a few of you. That's all right. Maybe by the end of the message, you'll be convicted heavily and you'll be saying, yeah, okay, I need that too. How many people would love a little bit more love in their life? All right. See, it didn't take long. Conviction set in real quickly there. That's all right. Just a couple seconds sometimes is all the Holy Spirit needs to really lay into you and say, what are you doing? Okay. It increases our love. Thirdly, it increases our opposition. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, right? No, man. That's not what we like to think of sometimes. But I don't think we're going to... No, we're not going to get into that part of it, but that's going to take us into next week as we finish chapter 15. But understand something, that as we're abiding in Jesus, it's not going to make us the most popular kids on the block. Because the world isn't there. And the world is going to look at these things and go, what's the matter with you? And the world is going to be convicted, just like you were a couple seconds ago. And they're going to be convicted going, I want to silence that. I don't like what they're how they're living or what they're saying. I want to, and so there's opposition that comes. So abiding in Jesus is going to increase your opposition, but Jesus has not left us alone in that. He's given us help. And so we'll talk about that next week, and we'll cover these first two here today. Now, when we look at this first verse we're going to see here, where we left off last time in John 15, verse 6, when we read this verse, there's not going to be a lot of confidence that's oozing out of this verse. We're not going to be reading this going, oh man, that is sure encouraging because look at what we read there. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Right? Yikes. This isn't one of those go-to verses when you're seeking some comfort, some strength from the Lord. You're not going to this verse going, okay, that's great. Or, you're, you know, this, this is the verse you're usually passing on to your enemies, right? Hey, read this verse. There's a good word for you here, I think, in this verse. You're not, you're not sharing this for yourself or for your friends. This is difficult. There's not a lot of confidence that comes out of this here. But let's break this down a little bit and, and look at that. Because this is one of those verses here that raises some tough theological questions for us. First of all, is this speaking of a believer who isn't bearing fruit? And then because he's not bearing fruit, he says, taken away and burned. Or is this speaking of an unbeliever being cut off? Is this fire? Is it speaking of hell? Is this fire maybe referring to the judgment of the believers when they stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ as 1 Corinthians talks about? 1 Corinthians 3.15 says that um, all the stuff that we've done for ourselves and not for Christ is going to be burned up, but we will be saved, but as through fire. So we're still saved. So is it speaking of that judgment perhaps? What about the believer? Is he eternally secure or not? These all raise some tough questions. And, and when we come to hard verses like this, I usually find one thing to be helpful, just to move on to the next verse. So verse seven here says, um, if, yeah, that just doesn't fly around here, does it? So um, here's some ways that we can break this down because there's been a lot of different interpretations given as to what are we dealing with and talking about when we hear about these branches that are, are removed basically they're, they're gathered and then thrown in the fire and burned. Well, there's been a few different interpretations. First of all, for example, the burned branches are Christians who have lost their salvation. But then that kind of contradicts a lot of passages like John 3.16 or John 5.24, chapter 10 of John, Romans 8.1. So it, it doesn't seem that we're talking about those that just lost their salvation. There's another, uh, another way to perhaps interpret this, and that is that the burned branches represent Christians who will lose rewards, but not salvation of the judgment seat of Christ. We alluded to that earlier. So it could be talking about that. Thirdly, the burned branches refer to professing Christians who, like Judas, are just not genuinely saved, and therefore they're judged. So like a dead branch, a person like Christ is spiritually dead and therefore will be punished in eternal fire. It's interesting that the, in, in the original Greek here, it's referred to as the branch. And so many believe that when Jesus said that, the branch, he's, he was referring to Judas. Because Judas was one of the 12, right? Bless you over there. That was great. Somebody got a shower too, I think. So, Was that you, Rochelle? On your brother? Okay, that was somebody else. All right, sorry. I did not mean to, now see, okay. Let's get back on track, people. That's towards me, I'm saying that. Um, so it, it, many believe that Jesus was talking about Judas. Now Judas was, was a part of the 12. He's been with Jesus, but you see, he's not really been in Jesus. He's not been abiding in Jesus. Judas is no longer here right now. So it's perhaps a reference to that. Many believe that it could be kind of a, a reference to those that have never been abiding in Jesus. Because notice what Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me. So we're dealing with those that have never truly been abided, abiding in Jesus, never been connected to Jesus, never been a part of Jesus, you see. 
And so we're dealing, a lot of people can pretend. A lot of people can put on a show of that. Judas had done that. He had, he had fooled all of the rest of the disciples, right? Nobody assumed when Jesus talked about somebody betraying him that, that he's talking about Judas. Everybody's like, who is it? Is it I? Judas didn't come to their mind. He's been fooling people. There are a lot of people that can fool one another, but nobody's fooling Jesus. Now, there's some that look at this as a connection with the parable of the wheat and the tares that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 13. Here's what it says there. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, there's some that believe, as Jesus is using that parable to illustrate, there's going to be those that are, are growing up bearing fruit and others that are not very fruitful. Those that are, are destined for the kingdom and those that aren't. And, and they're going to be coexisting, living together. Our job is not to try to point out those that aren't bearing fruit and uproot them. The Lord's going to take care of that. The Lord's going to send his angels. They're going to gather them. That's going to get taken care of. And in the same process today, even, we're not to be going around and trying to convict one another or, or tell people that they need to be bearing more fruit. We just need to be abiding in the vine, encouraging people to be living in Jesus and for Jesus. The Lord takes care of all these things, you see. And so it could very well be that I think this passage is referencing those that have never truly been connected to Jesus. They may have looked like it, but they're not truly in Jesus and they haven't had Jesus a part of them. And it could be also tied into that final judgment for believers, not for salvation, but of works, where all that we've done for Jesus is going to bear fruit, and all that we've done that's been for us, not for Jesus, is going to be burned up. It's going to go through the fire, but yet we still are saved through that. So here's the thing. When I read a verse like that, and I hope when you read a verse like that, I, I don't lose a lot of sleep over this. I don't sit there and start sweating and going, oh my goodness, is this talking about me? Am I going to be one of those branches one day that's going to be taken away to the fire? I don't sweat this because I'm abiding in Jesus. I don't say that arrogantly. I say that because I've simply placed my trust in Jesus as the means for my salvation. I know that I'm lost. I'm nothing apart from him. I need Jesus. So my life is committed to him in faith, in trust of his work done for me to save me. I'm abiding in Jesus. So I don't lose any sleep over this. I don't have to sweat this. And I pray that you are not either. Because Jesus says, if, you're, if anyone does not abide in me, here's the, the reality. But if you're sitting here today saying, no way, yeah, I'm abiding in Jesus. Then we don't have to worry about the outcome of this. There's a lot of Christians that have, have gone up and down over this, this truth and, and wondering, am I really going to make it into heaven? Am I really going to be there? It's never been about you. It's never been on you. It's based on what Jesus has done for you and you putting your faith and trust in him. We should never be wrestling over our salvation. Jesus simply says, come to me. Put your faith in me. All who believe in me are saved. That's it. It's simple. Abiding in Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So continuing on here now, how do we continue abiding in Jesus? How do we make sure this is happening in our lives? Well, first of all, I think it's through the word of God, being in the word and having the word in us, being people of prayer. These are all things that we do to be abiding in Jesus. And that's what Jesus 
kind of points out next to us here. Look at verse seven now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So, here's the thing is prayer, as, as he's alluding to, asking what you desire, that's seeking the Lord, abiding in him, asking, conversing with the Lord. Prayer is simply communing with God. That's all it is, right? So often we look at prayer, I, I think we can fall pray to this. We look at prayer oftentimes as just unloading our shopping list before the Lord. Like, here we go, God. I got all these needs. I got all these requests. I got all these wants and people to pray. Lord, and, and we just unload. Help me with this. Do this. Help that person. Do this. And that's kind of our prayer life. It's just unloading a shopping list before the Lord. But prayer is the means to communing with God. To come before him and just to be abiding in him. And Jesus says this glorifies the Father. Well, he says this. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that he bear much fruit. See, the Father is glorified when we come before the Lord in communion, in abiding, in, in, in prayer, because praying according to God's will is the prayer that he acts upon. And this is linked now. Abiding in Jesus means that we're praying according to his will. And the prayer that's prayed according to his will is the prayer that the Lord loves to come alongside and do and perform because he's glorified in and through that. As Jesus says, he's also glorified by us bearing fruit. And glorifying the Father is what we've been created to do. You wonder sometimes, what am I here for? What's my life all about? Your life exists to glorify God. How do we glorify him? By abiding in him, communing with him, bearing fruit. That's what we've been created to do. And the one bearing fruit shows that they are true followers of Christ because they're seeking God's glory now and not their own. We're not praying our desires and wants. We're praying according to God's heart. A true follower of Christ makes their life not about their own, but about Jesus and about others as well. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this I will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and what is the, the fruit really that we're talking about here? I think you could sum it up in that one word, love. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the spirit is love. The fruit singular, not plural. I think joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are all outlets, are all examples of love. But the fruit, singular, is love. So, we're going to talk a bit more about that coming up here, but here's what we need to do. We need to be in the Word and in prayer. Because the Word directs, and prayer now becomes that lifeline between the vine and the branches. You know that relationships are maintained and strengthened through communication, right? You might have a good friend, but that friendship is only as strong as your communication and being together and, and, and talking with one another. That's important. That's vital in relationships growing. And it's important in our relationship with the Lord. And here's the great thing is Jesus desires to communicate with you and he commu communicates to us through his word. And we communicate to, to him through prayer. 
There's a wonderful reciprocal thing that happens that causes us to be strengthened and fed, that promotes great fruit growth, and that is through just having that time of communing with God. The question is, are you abiding in Jesus? Now, yes, that's something that we do ongoing, daily, 24-7, of just abiding in Jesus, living with that consciousness of Jesus, but there's something that we should be doing, I think, and I want to encourage you in, and that is just having that quiet time with the Lord. I talk to a lot of people, and I think that's one area in the believer's life that can be a, a, a real struggle, is having and maintaining a quiet time with the Lord. What do, you, what do you mean by quiet time? I mean a time that you have set aside just to meet with the Lord. Not to, not to do some religious duty. And sometimes this is what our, our, our quiet time becomes. It's like, okay, well, before I head out for the day, I better, I better just get into the Word of God. I better read a, a, a couple verses or something. And, and sometimes our quiet time is like, well, let's flip through here. Okay, what, let's jump into, pro, okay, I'll read a proverb here. And then the next day it's like, well, let's jump over here. I mean, taking a book where you're just reading through and, and you're just taking a chapter or two. And, and here's the great thing is that when you open the word of God and you come to this quiet time before the Lord and you say, Jesus, this is, this is how you're gonna speak to me. I'm not going to be, you know, waiting for some audible voice while I'm driving to work where you're just going to make everything clear to me. You're going to speak to me through your word. And we come expectantly and we come anticipating that the Lord's going to speak to us through his word. So we start reading and, and marking, having a pen or a highlighter. And you start to mark through what, what's coming out of, of that passage. And then here's what we do is that as suddenly something jumps out at you, you just start to respond to the Lord. And you pray. And, and maybe it's a prayer of, Lord, thank you for that truth you just revealed to me. Man, I need to hear that. And I just pray you'll continue to strengthen my heart in that word. Maybe it's something that, that kind of convicts you. And you say, Lord, yeah, I've been really struggling in this area. And you just revealed that to me here in your word. And Lord, I need, I need your, your help in this. And we just be, you see, what's happening is the Lord's speaking to us. And then we're just responding to him. Is that how, how conversations usually go? If you had a friend that came to you and they're saying, hey, man, I was just over here yesterday. I was doing this awesome thing. I was over there. I was just, it was so much fun. I did all this. And then you just listen. And all of a sudden you say, um, you know, my dog the other day just had a real tough day and just uh, real got sick and everything. And, and you just like start talking about something so random that had nothing to do with that conversation. You'd be going like, didn't you hear what, uh, you know, I thought maybe you could respond to what I said and then we can maybe move on to what you're talking about. That's how conversations usually go. But yet with the Lord, it's not often that way. We might read something and be like, okay, and then we start to unload our, our shopping list. But you see, when we pick up the word of God and we have that quiet time, and I encourage you, it's my, my challenge to you here this week, carve some time away, schedule time away where you can get up in the morning before the busyness of the day and meet with the Lord. And do that not as a religious exercise. Do that as, this is so wonderful, is, do that as the exercise of just communing with God. Because he wants to meet with you. He wants to speak to you. And he does that through his word. He wants to spend time just conversing with you. That's what our quiet time is to be about. Spending time with the Lord, where, where we're strengthened and renewed, where, where we can be encouraged and, and go forth and begin to even bear more fruit through that day.
Think about Jesus. And we all look at this and we go, you know what? I try, it just, it's so hard. I got so much on the go. So much on the go. You know, I think about Jesus. You think about the demands of life. He had people like hunting him down, trying to try, like Jesus, we need your help. We need you to do this. We need and all day he's got just crowds following him. What did Jesus do? He said, oftentimes the gospels, he got up very early in the morning. And what did Jesus do? He got away with the Father to commune with the Lord in prayer, to meet with God. If Jesus needed to do that, oh my goodness. I think I can get away without doing that. Jesus needed to do that. How much more do I? How much more do you? And so if it takes setting that alarm clock a little bit earlier, I think about, I mean, very early in the morning, all through the Psalms and, and, and through scripture, you just hear oftentimes the authors are saying, you know, early in the morning, I will seek you. Why is that important? Because you just, you're not distracted by the business of the day, you know? All the demands are not quite hitting you yet. Take time before you have to head off to work. Set that alarm maybe half an hour early where you say, I'm going to take this half an hour. That's nothing, isn't it? Half an hour and just spend time with you, Lord, because you're more important. You're more important than, than getting an extra half an hour of sleep. I believe if you get up, spend time with the Lord, and you lose half an hour of sleep, man, he's going to strengthen you through the day in ways that that half an hour of sleep could never have helped you. And I've needed to do that. I've had to change my alarm from 10.30 and, and go to 10 o'clock now, half an hour earlier. And it's paid dividends, it really has. I'm but you see, sometimes our quiet times get so dry and that's why we kind of push aside. It's like, I read the Bible and then I just walk around and forget what I even read. I've been there. I'm sure you have too. But when you come with that mindset of saying, I get to meet with Jesus. I get to hear from Jesus. He's going to speak to me in his word. And you have a pen or a highlighter in hand because you're anticipating something ministering to your heart, speaking to you. That's the Lord. And you start marking that. And you take that one thought that you're just kind of praying over and you're responding to the Lord in it. And maybe you're journaling it, what you're learning from that. And, and that's going with you through the day. And you'll find that oftentimes that verse, man, is just being used to speak to others about, to encourage others in. But that's the Lord just desiring to minister to you. And that's, that's how we're abiding in Jesus. That's how we're being refreshed in Jesus. That's how we are glorifying God by doing these things, praying, seeking him. And I encourage you, if you've not scheduled that time, if you've not made that a priority in life, do that this week. Take time to meet with the Lord. Don't start your day without doing that. If you need to get up a little bit early, do so. But when you come expectant and you come ready to hear from God in his word and commune with him in conversation, you're going to be blessed. You'll be so glad. You'll be thinking, why haven't I done this sooner? So, see, when we're abiding in Jesus, we're going to know his heart in a more intimate way. We're going to be praying along this line. And that's a prayer that's just being offered in, in confidence. That's what a body in Jesus does. It increases our confidence. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. Well, the body in Jesus also increases our love. 
And that's what we see next here in verse nine. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So abiding in Jesus is a key way that we maintain our love for one another. Too often we see, you know, fighting, factions, feuds going on within the church because people have become disconnected from the true vine. But when we're abiding in Jesus, then we're abiding in his love. Abiding in Jesus will never be the cause of disrupted fellowship and disharmony within the church. I've never walked into church and seen people at odds with one another and thought, well, these people have been abiding in Jesus too much. It's never been the outcome of that. No, it's like these people become disconnected from the vine. They're not receiving this love. Now, notice what Jesus says there in verse 9. As the Father loved me, so I also have loved you. How do you think the Father loved Jesus? I mean, that's, that's, that's hard to really put a gauge on or a measure, but I, I would say it's, it's even indescribable, unexplainable. It's, it's without measure, no doubt. Think about the, the way the Father has loved the Son. They've been in perfect unity. They've been together from the beginning. They've created this whole world together. They've been in complete harmony. There's great love. The, fa- the Son has come to do the, the Father's will. There's been an incredible amount of love that's been poured out when Jesus baptized. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father is of the Son. And now Jesus comes along and says, just as the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. Think about that. That's pretty deep, isn't it? That's pretty heavy. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty wonderful. That Jesus loves us with that same kind of love. And you did nothing to earn that. You might be sitting here today thinking, yeah, but man, I, you, you don't know me. Man, I've, really, I've really had a bad week. Man, I've really messed up. Listen, his love for you is not based on what you've done. His love is based on simply his love. He loves you. So just receive it and abide in that love and remain in that love. Listen, the way that we remain in this love is through now obedience. Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now Jesus isn't saying here, if you want me to love you, then you need to obey me. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't basing his love based on your obedience. Jesus says simply, if you love me, you're going to demonstrate it through obedience. Obedience doesn't earn love. Obedience is the evidence of love. And so Jesus is saying there, if you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love. You see, you've all, I'm sure, experienced that before where you've gotten off track, you've gotten offline, you've gotten away from God's word. And what happens? Well, God loves you so much, he's, he doesn't want you to remain there. He comes alongside and he, he chastens you, he, he, he corrects you. Maybe there's a rebuke involved. And you know what? That's not fun. We don't like that. That's not enjoyable. But God's doing that out of his love to draw you back, 
to get you back in line with him. Because when we are going through those times of chasing because we've gone off track, guess what? God's love never went anywhere. God's love is still the same, but we're not experiencing it in the same way because, man, we're being kind of disciplined, chastened. Not out of anger, but out of his love. And in those times, we're not experiencing love. It's not that his love has changed. It's just being experienced in a different way. But when we walk in obedience, this is where Jesus says, then you're going to abide in my love. Because when we're following in obedience, we're just like, man, life is good. I'm tracking with Jesus. Man, I've got no reason to ever question or wonder if he loves me. I'm experiencing it. I'm knowing it. I'm confident in it. And notice here, Jesus says at the end of verse 10, or let me just read verse 10 again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See, Jesus himself lived that same way where he came alongside and he submitted to the will of the father and he obeyed the father. And in so doing, he was abiding in the love of the father. He kept the commandments of God. He came to do the will of God and he submitted to the father. Jesus basically says that this is the way to experience now the fullness of joy. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's basically saying that this is the way to really know confidently and experience the love of God. And when you're walking in that, your joy meter is just going to go right up. Joy to the full. How many people love having joy? How many people love just experiencing joy is a good thing? I love being joyful. But I hope that you're experiencing a joy-filled life through Jesus, through abiding in him, through obeying him, not out of duty, but out of love. And because he loves you. As we walk in this way, as we're abiding in Jesus, suddenly we're like, oh, the joy in this. See, Jesus is not coming along as a, a joy robber saying, hey man, got a heavy trip for you guys. Need you to, whew, need you to follow this book, man gonna be tough but it's a test see if you're gonna get into heaven you know this isn't Jesus trying to dump something on us and kind of be a joy killer and just you know be heavy saying this is the way that you're gonna experience joy by following this living the life that I have laid out for you so we can look at this and go all right what let me, what, what, do I, what do I need to really follow? What, what's the bare minimum? What's the least amount of commandments that I can just get away with, right? Give me the easy ones here. What do I need to do to really just, well, Jesus kind of answers this for us next. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Basically, Jesus says, hey, guys, this is all I'm asking of you. And remember, there were like tons of, uh, the, the religious leaders broke down the law by all these multiple commandments, you know, and it just became hard. It's like people were like afraid to leave the house 
because they thought, I'm going to just break the commandment without even realizing it. Because they made all these commandments. Jesus says, let me make this as simple as possible for you. Love one another. See, Jesus earlier, when somebody asked him, what's the greatest of commandments? Jesus says what? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Basically from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And... The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself because it's in this love that it's all wrapped up. It's all summed up. Everything that God is requiring of us is really wrapped up in love. Love becomes paramount to keeping the commands because what gets in the way of us keeping God's commandments? Us, right? Ourselves. Isn't that the problem? Oh, we like to, yeah. We like to point the finger at other people. Well, man, these guys are messing me up. That person's just getting under my skin. No, the problem is you. You're the one that gets in the way of keeping the commandments and then of really experiencing and abiding in the love of Christ. So here's what love does. Love comes along and says, deny yourself. Lay yourself down. As I've often said, we oftentimes think the opposite of love is like hatred, anger. I believe the opposite of love is self. And when you are focused on self, you're not going to be walking in love. When you're truly walking in love, you're not going to be focused on self. Because we're the ones that oftentimes derail everything, that make a mess of things, that get in the way of us keeping God's word because we get self-focused. We put the, the emphasis on us. We want our stuff, you know, taken care of. We want uh, our desires met. We want our way to take place rather than saying, I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to bless others. I'm going to, I'm going to seek to minister to others. And so Jesus says now, if love is the denial of self, Jesus kind of illustrates that for us there by saying, greater love is known than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what it's all about. And this is what Jesus is showing. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to demonstrate to you the fullness of love because I'm going to lay my life down for you. Now, some people might look at that and go, okay, I catch that word at the end, friends. So is this just something I need to do for my inner circle, my peeps, my, my friends? Is, this some, is that all we're talking about here? That I can do. But having to give, deny myself, for those that I may not like? Do I really have to do that? Well, who did Jesus die for? The world. Everybody. He died for you and me when we didn't deserve. When we, when we, Ephesians says, when we were at enmity with God, enemies of God, Christ came and he died for us. And he broke down that, that, that wall of separation. He reconciled us. Jesus didn't die just for his friends. He died for everybody. He died for you and me. And the Bible says we were at enmity with God when he did so. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So it's not just about friends. You see, Jesus says, those that receive my gift of salvation, will they enter into friendship now with me? but I didn't die just for my friends. I didn't submit just for my friends. I did it for the whole world. We're called to do this, to live this way, to make this a practice in our life where we're saying it's not about me. It's not about my way. It's about coming alongside others and serving 
and blessing, showing love. So Jesus goes on to say, listen, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Now this gets good here. Because the relationship we now get to enjoy with Jesus is more than just out of a servant to a master. It's out of friends. See, what, what makes friends friends? Well, there's openness, there's relationship, there's honesty, there's transparency, there's all these things. So when Jesus says, I've invited you in as friends now, and he, and, and he reveals to us there um, at the end of verse 15 that all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. See, Jesus isn't keeping us in the dark. That's, you know, if you're just a servant, you're like, you're on a need to know basis and you don't need to know this right now. We get kind of kept in the dark as servants over certain matters. But friends, no, there's, there's openness you share with one another. That's why you become friends. There's, there's just this camaraderie. There's, there's this communication happening together. Jesus says, I've revealed everything to you from the Father. I, I've laid it all out for you because you're friends. He's invited us into this intimate relationship and fellowship with him now. Are we enjoying that? Are we experiencing life as servants or as friends? Because that's going to drastically change what you do, why you do it, and how you do it. Are you living as a servant where it's like, okay, I just got to, I got to try to make sure I don't, you know, mess up here or upset the boss. I just got to be a servant. Or are you a friend? Like, thank you, Jesus for this fellowship and relationship. And, and because of that love you show me, I all the more now just want to please you and serve you well. But it's going to alter the motivation and the way that you do what you do. Are you coming at it as a servant or are you coming at it as a friend of Jesus? Because that's what he's called us here. He goes on to say, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, as much as you might think you chose Jesus and you chose Jesus because you were so wise, so smart, because you just humbled yourself to the mercy of God that you knew, the reality is, no, he chose you. He chose you. And he chose you with a purpose, that is to go and bear fruit. Just as with the disciples, right? All the 12 were chosen. They still had to make that decision to follow him when that offer was given. But as they began to follow Jesus, they began to see that he had far greater plans in store for them than they could have ever imagined. And his choosing was for them to go and bear fruit. It's the same with us. And notice this, it's not that you should go and bear fruit, but that it's, that your fruit should what, somebody? Yes, your fruit should what? Remain. Exactly. That your fruit should continue. It should remain. You see, there might be some of you that have, have done really well in the past of bearing fruit. And you might have held that fruit and go, look at the fruit that I've... But some of that fruit may have begun to get a little soft. Maybe a little moldy. Maybe there's a little bit of fur growing where there shouldn't be fur growing on fruit at all. And you're holding on to that going, well, that was once really good. 
But the Lord's saying, I want you to be bearing fruit that remains. And that means continually reproducing fruit. Fruit that remains. That's what the Lord has called us to do. That's our very purpose in living. To bear fruit, to glorify the Father. Perhaps you've been struggling to produce this fresh fruit in your life. Maybe you've been hurt and it's preventing growth. Or maybe you just felt unqualified. But look at what Jesus reminds us to do in that verse there. He says that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Have you been going to the Father? Because remember who the Father is? John 15, verse one and two, he's the vine dresser. He's the one tending the branches that when they are hurt, when they're wounded, when they are lacking fruit, he comes along and he lifts up and he cleanses so that they might be more fruitful. The Father's looking to come alongside, but are you coming to him asking, saying, Lord, I need your help. I wanna be more fruitful. I wanna be bearing fruit that remains, so God help me. Come, ask him. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Are you doing that? Come to him, look to him. Jesus says, these things I command you that you love one another. So again, Jesus now in closing, he drives this point home because this is how people are going to know that you're his disciples. That's gonna be the freshest, juiciest fruit that you can reveal is this love. That's how people are gonna see it. But there's another reason Jesus says this here. Because he's about to talk to them about how the world is going to respond to them. Like I said at the beginning, you would think that the world is going to see Christians now loving one another, being in community, seeking to bless one another rather than themselves. And the world's going to come alongside and go, oh my goodness, those guys, that's who I want to be around. Those guys are awesome. I want to be more like them. You would think, again, we're going to be the most popular kids on the block, but that's not what Jesus is going to say to us. You're going to say, no, you know what? The world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. The world's going to oppose you. It's not going to be easy out there. That's why you need to be sure that you're loving one another. We get enough abuse in the world. Let's make sure that we're not abusing one another in the church. We need to be loving one another, supporting each other, being a strength so that when we go out in the world, we know that we're not alone. Well, we'll talk about that next week and look at those verses a little bit more. But here's some things just to close with and think about here. What evidence do you see in your life of abiding in Jesus? See, it's not about trying to bear more fruit. It's not about trying to work this up. It's about abiding in Jesus. If you're abiding in Jesus, the fruit is a natural byproduct of it. Are you seeing that in your life? Secondly, what quality or action discussed today do you want to see more of in your life? Is it obedience? Is it this love? Is it joy being filled in your life? Is it prayer and that, that quiet time? What is it that you're asking the Lord to help you and, and increase in your life? Thirdly, how have you been experiencing life as a friend of Jesus? Are you walking in that love? Are you abiding? Are you feeling like a friend of Jesus? Because that's what he's invited you to experience. Let's take these things to the Lord. Let's spend some time just waiting on him and asking him to 
lead us in these things. I'll close in prayer in a minute. Thank you.